What's going on, everyone? This is Brian Turner here with another episode of the No Stress Midwest podcast. Uh, this is season one, episode five. We have Darren McLeod with us. Uh, Darren is the head goalkeeper coach for Sporting Academy here, uh, a position that he just moved into within the last year. Um, so we're going to talk with Darren about uh, his new position now, kind of how he got to that position, uh, his playing career, and um, how Darren ended up here. Darren, thank you for being on. No, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So uh, we were able to catch up, Darren and I, the other day and uh, just kind of chat about um, what we were going to talk about today, have a few drinks, and kind of talk about how how his transition's been back with the academy after uh, covid uh, so Darren, let's just kind of, I mean, start with that. What's, what's the uh, transition been like for you? Um, I mean, so we, we actually just started back up with the Academy uh, this past week. Um, but it's been weird, man. I mean, if you, if you would have asked me my first year of coaching, what it would look like, this probably wouldn't be. Not be it, uh, huh? Yeah. I mean, I just would never have guessed something like this would have happened. I mean, I feel like everyone in this position in the soccer world and even outside are, uh, 2020 has just been an odd year. So, um, it's been a, it's been a weird blessing in disguise because it gives you time to learn the process and get, get your feet under your, yourself a little bit. But, um, uh, for me, it's been a really a positive experience. And now that we're back on the field, that's, I mean, what all of us want to do. So for sure. Um, so, all right. So Darren, you were, were born and raised in Canada. Yeah. Um, and you ended up here and now you're in Kansas City. So uh, before we got to Kansas City, how did you end up in the States? What, how, how was that? And, and what was the playing like in, in Canada as a youth? Yeah, so I kind of grew up just outside of the Toronto area. Um, so one of the things that I always tell people is like Toronto's, in general, Canada has a, a somewhat competitive soccer environment, but everything in and around Toronto is just like next level. Um, I think anytime it's, it's the same thing with the States, anytime you're around big cities. Um, and obviously Toronto is one of those cities that's culturally diverse as well. So um, the city picked that up pretty quickly. Um, but Kind of my my journey with this i always kind of knew i wanted to be a pro um my first real experience was when i went to newcastle um was with their academy for a little bit um that kind of for me it was the first time walking into like st james park and um obviously when you're walking out into fifty-five thousand, i was actually a, a ball boy for a game against liverpool and this is this is actually back when newcastle was like a team that was decent and not just right. a existent team um so i mean for any kid that's been to a pro game and one of that kind of magnitude you just walk in and you're like i mean if i can do this for a living that would be a dream come true so kind of started there and then i went through toronto fc's academy for a little bit um and then as i kind of transitioned out of the academy started um looking at whether i wanted to go professionally or to college um I knew that if I did go the college route, I think for me, I always felt that the U.S. provided the best opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, nothing against kind of the Canadian system, but um, for me, 
any player that wanted to play competitively um, and make it to the pro level. There weren't many that were going through like Canadian universities. Right. They were um, moving to the States for that. Yeah. So, so that was kind of my first transition. And to be honest, like when I went to, so I went to Drake university and I mean, Des Moines, Iowa, um, for me, it was like outside Toronto. Yeah. Your first I mean, experience is Des Moines, Iowa. I, I'll be honest. I didn't even know Iowa was a state. Um, for sure. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, so it, it was kind of weird. Like I, when I was going through the Academy, I, I, I felt as though there was a potential of me signing as a homegrown, um, <clears throat> kind of looking back on it. Um, it was one of those situations that things changed quickly and I never kind of prepared a plan B. Um, so, I mean, I actually like ended, ended up signing my, um, my national letter of intent, like June of my senior year. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't even start talking to colleges probably until like January of that senior year. So, All right. um, super late to the party, but I mean, for me, I, I, I have good experiences from Drake. I have some things I wish, like anyone, that you'd change. But um, I'm a big believer in kind of everything happens for a reason and your path finds its way. And um, that's kind of how I ended up in the States. And then after that, um, ended up with Sporting Kansas City's organization. Uh, I played there for two years. And then – Well, now hold on, hold on, hold on. We're, before we get your – I feel like you're you're skipping over a lot of – important things here so let's let's slow it down okay um you you skipped over i I feel like the newcastle united experience um so how did you how did you end up there and and was santiago there uh was he playing with the first team yet yeah he was at that time you were okay all right that's good to know um yeah how'd you how'd you end up in newcastle yeah so um I was training with a, a goalkeeper coach from my hometown. Um, so his son actually is David Edgar. Uh, I don't know if you know that name. He played for Newcastle and kind of bounced around the Premier League slash second tier England. Yeah. Um, so David was actually playing for Newcastle at that time. Right. Uh, so his dad, Eddie, who was my goalkeeper coach, uh, brought myself um, and a couple of other guys, one of them actually being uh, Tyler Pasher. I know you yeah, you know, kind of. I mean, <clears throat> from basically the same hometown, um, and we went over to the academy. Um, both of us had peer, uh, positive experiences. I was actually trying to go there permanently, uh, yeah. but just with European passports. I, I know Tyler had a little bit more luck uh, with a European passport, so I think he was actually there for a little bit longer than I was. But okay. um, had a stint. It was when we were, I was 11 years old, um, went there, stayed for, I think it was three weeks the first time and then went back the following year, um, yeah, so for another month. So, um, All right. and then, and with Newcastle, I also, uh, read that you were with sporting Lisbon, uh, for a bit in Portugal. And, and for those listening, uh, that have maybe heard of this guy named Cristiano Ronaldo, um, that is a, a club where he first started before Sir Sir Alex Fergie uh, brought him over to Man U. So how how did you end up there, and what was that what was that experience like? And when were you there? Yeah, so I went when I was uh, fourteen, so it was two thousand eight, um, and it was again kind of a similar experience. I was training with a goalkeeper coach, kind of in the Toronto area. Um, mm-hmm. Nuno Santos is his, his name. Uh, Mike 
main goalkeeper coach Ricardo, he kind of set that up. Um, and actually funny story. So Nuno is actually the first team goalkeeper coach at Spurs now. Oh, uh, ah, so this is the, yeah. uh, yeah. This okay. is kind of had a weird connection for me. Okay. Uh, this was before obviously he went into the bigger coaching game, but right. um, he had a contact in sporting. Uh, he played for uh, Vittorio Setubal, who's like another um, Portuguese club there. So we went there and then we went to Lisbon as well, kind of on, in a sense, a trial, but at the same time, you're just 14 trying to gauge yourself. Um, and for me, I always had, uh, had a dream where I wanted to go over to Europe. Right. Um, and again, had a very positive experience, tried to actually go over there and then kind of struck out again with, with European passports. And, um, but for me, like those, those experiences were invaluable. Um, although I didn't end up there, I think opened the door of what it looked like there, the culture there, um, right. how big of a deal it was there. And also kind of gave me an idea of where I started stacked up against, I mean, like you said, theoretically, some of the best academies in the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Um, wow. All right. And was, it was at that time you knew like, all right, it's pro or bus. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because people ask me, they're like, when did you have an idea that you wanted to be pro? And like, I, I genuinely, the first time I walked into Newcastle and it was the first time I walked into that stadium, um, for the game against Liverpool, I, I remember I like went back to the hotel that night and was like talking through it with my dad and was like, is this something like you can do? Like, how do, how does this work? And he's right. like, best he could for an 11 year old kid to understand. And that's when I just said, Hey, like whatever it takes to do this, like I want to, I want to be there someday. So. Right. Cool. Cool. All right. So then you, you brought up that you played at Drake uh, university and while you were there, you played uh with two buddies of mine, Alec Bartlett and uh, Kyle Wiggum. Uh, so Alec and Kyle actually coached their uh, their little brothers in high school at St. Thomas Aquinas, um, and we won won a state, won two state with uh, Alec's little brother, and I think one with Wiggum's. Uh, but it's cool to be friends with them now, and then see that you and I are on a podcast, and you are teammates with them, and just kind of shows that small circle that. Uh, that there is in the in the soccer community here, um, but while you were at Drake and something you skipped over, uh, so you redshirted your freshman year and then yep. you redshirted your senior year. So, so yes, it's actually yeah. Sorry, it was just like my freshman year actually. Oh, I'm so just freshman year. Okay, so just the freshman year. So you played four years, three years. Uh, I mean, technically, I guess four and a half. Um, so I did the four years and then your, your red shirt yeah, senior. was just kind of like a semester. So. Right. Okay. So in that time, uh, Darren leads or led Drake and I think still holds the record for games, minutes, saves, shutouts, and wins, uh, all in that time. So that is quite a, uh, quite some accomplishments and quite some records to hold at that D1 level. What was that experience like playing with Drake? I know you won a conference championship there. Um, how was that D1 experience? What was it like transitioning from Canada over to the U.S.? Uh, and how, how was Des Moines? Did you do stuff outside of, outside of training? Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I guess the first part, Drake's kind of campus is um, a little bit outside of the downtown Des Moines. Um, I guess for anyone who's been there, um, for me, Des Moines is one of those things that like you can go for a week and get pretty much the Des Moines experience. Um, all out the way, yeah. Yeah, it's it's small town Iowa. Like, like I, I loved it just because um, it's it, – it's like a family feel. I, I honestly didn't know what I was getting into. Like I said, I didn't even know Iowa was a state. And so, right. Um, so there's that. Yeah. Um, but good experiences and bad experiences. Love the, love the schooling. Some of the people that I met there, um, fantastic human beings. I feel like people in the Midwest in general, I always kind of compare them to, uh, in a way like Canadians, um, mm-hmm. just based on my experience, like Midwest people are, are awesome. They're, they they kind of share the same values that Canadians have. They're uh, personable people that care about you. And um, so from that side of it, um, it really enjoyed that experience. Um, the transition for me was tough. Um, I think anytime you make a big adjustment like that, especially one from going from one country to another, um, although the cultures aren't very different, um, the reality is I was going to school 14 hours away from home. Right. Um, so it was one of those experiences where I kind of just got thrown into the deep end. And for a lot of college students, they go through where they, they obviously have tough times, but um, a lot of them have the comfort of knowing that, you know, if you're really struggling on a weekend, mom and dad are quick three hour drive away. Or if you need to go home for a weekend, like it's always a feasible right there, option. Yeah. 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 And for me, it was like, hey, I saw my parents. I mean, they were they were awesome with coming to my games, um, but at the same time, it was like I I didn't see like my sister for a year, and right. outside of my parents, I didn't see like grandparents and things like that. And right. um, it was an adjustment. And I think thinking back to it, my experiences in Europe actually helped me. Um, when you're like an 11 year old kid going to Newcastle, huge culture shock being there for three months. That's kind of your first experience going over again, going to sporting where now there's a language barrier. Those are all things that I think I was fortunate to be able to experience them. Although I would have loved to have gone over there permanently at that age. Um, I think those are all experiences that helped me help almost prime me for leaving home at 17, 18, whatever it was. Mm. Um, but in terms of, in terms of the playing seasons, um, had two good years, had two not so good years. Um, but truthfully, I feel like unless you're going to like a top 25 school, you're always gonna, it's very rare that you have four very good years. There's always trying to find the right groups of players and things like that. And one of them that you touched on was obviously like the, the one year we were successful was when Alec and Kyle were, were seniors and we were juniors. Um, so kind of had that awesome leadership from them. And then we had a strong junior class and that was the year when we won conference and um, obviously probably had the the most successful season for us. Um, but there, there's always like learning curves and, and struggles. I think looking back on it, one of the things for me was um, you ask yourself, what, what would my experience now be different if I 
went to a bigger school and maybe prepared a little bit harder, did right. my research in advance. And right. I mean, you can always ask those questions. <laughs> it's like anything in life, but for sure. Um, Everyone has 2020 vision in hindsight. So, exactly. um, yeah. but I mean, Drake gave me a lot. Uh, and I think I'm in the position that I'm in now because of some of my experiences at Drake. So, um, I think at the end of the day, Drake's a great school. It has a great program. And I think one of the good things is it's only getting better. Um, the coach that's right. there now and the direction that they're heading, um, I think they're in a good place. So. Cool. All right. And then, so after Drake, you were then drafted in 2017 by the then Swope Park Rangers. Uh, now they're sporting KC2. Um, how, how, how did that process go after Drake and – how was your time while you were there? Yeah, so it was kind of a, again, it's one of those like soccer world is a small thing. Um, mm -hmm. When I was when I was at Drake, I, I think starting my sophomore year, um, at the time it was John Pasquarella, who was the goalkeeper coach at Sporting. Uh, kind of had a previous relationship with him and he was like, hey, I mean, I know you're not going home for – spring breaks and fall breaks and things like that if you just want to come in and train with us um he's like i know who you are and i know that's kind of the route you want to go so um i would go in and train with them i mean it was like three years straight almost every single big break and then even occasionally on weekends i'd go so um kind of got to know the club and the club know me a little bit um through that um but then actually when i finished my um, kind of college career. Um, I had a connection, Alec Duffy, who's the, the first team goalkeeper coach right now. Um, he was actually the, um, he was with Toronto FC when I was with Toronto FC. Okay. Um, All right. So for me, that was like a second kind of in with the club. Mm -hmm. um, so I called him up and was like, look, this is what I want to do. And, and he said, he's like, look, if you're, if this is the direction you want to go, we'd love to have you. And, um, kind of brought me in through that um, and that was kind of my first year was I guess a combined effort of knowing Alec Duffy and a little bit I guess John Pascal as well so um, and and for there's the, probably the one MLS team I most oh my bad I, sorry Darren uh, I was gonna say for the the listeners so John Pascarella JP is now the uh, energy FC coach who is a uh, we had Joe Amico on the episode before, uh, who is a player for John Pascarella, just to kind of make some reference there for everyone. So sorry, Darren, go ahead, carry on. No, you're good. I, I was I was finished. I was just Okay, all right, my bad. Um so all right, so while you were here with Swope, uh that's when Darren and I met. And uh during that time there were a few people on the team that uh I was able to become friends with and you know, now a lot of them have all been traded and and moved on with different teams. So it's it's cool to be able to stay in contact with some of them uh, and, and have them on your podcast uh, one day. Um, but yeah, so after the two years at Swope, uh, you ended up at North Carolina FC uh, for a season. I know there was a, a brief uh, loan or trial period at Minnesota United. Um, which ultimately ended with you going to North Carolina FC. So how did, uh, how did that end up and, and kind of how was the time and the experience with all of that? Yeah. Um, 
I know we've kind of talked about this of whether or not we want to open up a can of worms. Um, I think for me, this has always been the, the biggest experience that I like to share with uh, younger kids developing. Um, just for me, this was, this was a huge point in my career, um, that kind of off season. Um, and I think the one that I learned the most valuable lesson. So although it was kind of a, a difficult one for me, um, I think it's important for me to talk about it with, with kids who are going through it. Um, just because although some of these kids aren't working for professional contracts, maybe at that time, but the same kind of issues that they're going through is the same things that we've gone through. So if there's like pieces of advice that I could give to them or letting, even letting them know that like, Hey, we, we feel it at the pro level. I know we kind of talk like every single guy, I think you've talked to Musa and, and Joe Miko and Kempin and things like that probably all share is multiple times in your career you kind of go through through the ringer a little bit and and find uh, find your way dips and valleys and things like that um but kind of what how it happened was when i was with uh casey um i guess leaving names out there was an opportunity for me to go to minnesota um one of those that said just in the soccer world, how it worked. Kansas City had my rights. I was, you know, keen on going back there the year after that. Um, but this opportunity came forward and said, look, if you're, if you can get your release from Kansas City, then, you know, Minnesota would like to sign you. Um, so obviously being a guy who had played in the USL for two years, um, getting an opportunity to play at MLS, which again, was always one of my dreams as well. And I feel like any guy playing at the USL level would lie if they, Told you they were just playing to play at the USL level. Yeah, everyone wants to play at a high level, higher level and, and achieve more in their career. So when that came about, I had a really good positive conversation with Alec Duffy and was like, look, I think it's time for me to explore other avenues. Um, things at Kansas City were, you know, I was getting first team opportunities, but I wasn't convinced of whether or not they were going to um, kind of pull the trigger on that. And I had an opportunity in front of me that, uh, was I was a for sure bet signing so spoke to the technical staff at Minnesota and and everything was good um, so managed to get my release from Kansas City um, and then this is kind of where I ran into a couple issues um, just in terms of how contracts are lined up um, just had some issues with the Minnesota technical staff in terms of um, they're trying to place me in a roster spot that um, for me, it was actually my age that um, didn't allow me to sign under that specific spot. Um, so kind of pushed the contract to the league. The league came back and was like, hey, you, you can't you can't do this. You got to put them on a one of the full-time roster spots versus the reserve roster spots. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of stuck with them and was like, hey, I mean, I left my club. Is there any way that you can figure this problem out? Um, right. I want to Obviously, I'm committed to being with Minnesota. Um, the technical staff was all for bringing me in. Um, so it was one of those like, hey, let us figure out a couple other pieces roster-wise. And then, uh, like, Toss, you're still uh, – our names, your name's on our, our, our big board in the office. Um, so it was kind of like a stressful period where you're banking on the relationship of the coaches that are wanting to bring you in and – Right. 
kind of waiting to see, knowing that you, in a sense, everything's out of your control. It's just a waiting game. Um, and at the same time, I had a couple other like USL teams reach out and, and ask if I wanted to sign and kind of made the decision during that period that I felt my gut was that Minnesota would be able to, to solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, so rode that through the off season and got to a point where um, th- they said, come out to preseason with us. Um, so went out to Tucson, went to preseason with them for, uh, for a little while and, it was actually the the last day that they were uh, in Tucson, the day before they came back to Minnesota. Um, got a text from my agent. It was like, hey, you need to speak to the technical staff kind of right now. Something's going on. Um, yeah. And basically, long story short was, um, I think the technical staff were happy with the goalkeeping crew that they had, um, including me in on that. Um, but the sporting director, um, they actually brought in Vito Monone that day. Um, and for people who don't know, he's he's obviously a bigger name European signing. Um, did really well for them last year. Um, so I know it caught me off guard. It caught the starter, Bobby Shuttleworth, off at, at that time as well, just because it was super late signing. Right. Um, I don't know if necessarily this is, I mean, one of those things you always have to talk to, to Minnesota to fi- figure out the true story. But um everything that i was told was that the technical staff believed in the picture that they had and then um kind of there was a disconnect within the club that someone decided to bring Vito in and um kind of throws everything off right and yeah and and that kind of talks on the limitations the the higher up you move that a coach or a manager uh has because you know the manager's really just there to manage the players that are there. And yeah, he can make recommendations. I want this person and that person to fit this picture that, you know, you essentially hired me in for, uh, but ultimately it's the front office and, and um, that makes that and the sporting directors that make that decision on, we're going to bring in this person or we're not going to bring in this person or man, I owe a buddy a favor. Uh, I need to bring in this person and, then the technical staff now has to deal with what's there. Yeah. And I mean, we, we spoke about this a little bit was every, every club's different. Mm-hmm. Uh, some have a good relationship, with the technical staff with the ownership group and things like that. Um, the case in Kansas city, the technical staff, with Peter, obviously he's the sporting director. So basically everything goes through him. So yeah. Yeah. Um, every, every club is different in the sense. And um, I mean, the unfortunate part is I've talked to guys and I've heard kind of, if you would like horror stories as well, um, where they kind of got up, caught up in a similar mess that I did. Um, and that's kind of the unfortunate part of this business. Um, there's times where you can, you can create opportunities for yourself, but at the same time, there needs to be, um, a meeting of your preparation and everything that you're doing with a window of opportunity. And those, those are uh, hard to come by. Those don't open very often. And when they do meet at the right time, players careers can skyrocket. And um, I think for me, I just kind of got caught up in a, a not so great situation. Um, yeah. And I mean that at the end of the day, I could have really <clears throat> bitterness towards it. Um, but at the same time, I think I can look back on it and be like, as much as, I mean, it was, 
the hardest kind of four months of going through a preseason when you're or, uh, off season where you're just like, I think I've got a contract. I don't know if I have a contract. I just said no to these guys in order to stick on here. And yeah. I mean, it's one of those things you're waking up and training in the off season, knowing that like you got to stay fit when the time falls, but yeah. you can't physically move the paper along quick enough. Yeah. You can um, only, you can only do so much. And, and it brings me to a quote that, that I heard when I was a, a young player that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And like you, I mean, you, you, you said it, uh, you're prepared and you prepare, prepare, and you do everything you can on your end to get yourself at the best level and best position you can be. But you need that opportunity on the other end to help you get there. And that opportunity does not come often. And I think a lot of times we have players and people that get the opportunity but aren't prepared. And then they don't even know that one, they either pissed away an opportunity or they had the opportunity of a lifetime right in front of them and they weren't ready for it. Um, so, yeah, I think you, you hit it right on the head. Is You've got to have some luck, right, with anything you do in order to be successful. There has to be that that sliver of opportunity, but also knowing that you can't just sit on your ass and and just say, oh, I'm maybe today's the day I get lucky. Like, no, it's you got to prepare and whatever you want to get lucky in, you got to put in, was it 10,000 hours yeah. to be great? Um, so, so yeah. So, all right. So that was a not so good experience there in, in Minnesota. And then from there you ended up in North Carolina uh, for a little bit, just for, I think it was like a season. Um, how was, how was your experience there? And, and then what, how did that end for you? Yeah. So kind of at the tail end of Minnesota, I'm, <laughs> sitting in the hotel room and the the team is actually flying back to minnesota that day um and kind of the staff said they're like hey we'll we'll fly you back out to wherever you need to go um just let us know and i'm teams team bus is left and i'm sitting there in the hotel like okay well i don't have anything what do um, i do yeah and do I the do? difficulty with that situation was this is super late on in the, the off season um mm -hmm. we were starting to push march at that time where minnesota was actually i think it was two weeks out from their season um and any guy that kind of knows how the usl and mls works like end of february beginning of march that's beyond late you should yeah. have a team figured out everyone for the most part has the rosters obviously there's some late signings but um kind of was in a situation where uh, I mean, even through the whole off season, I was on the phone with my agent, like every two or three days being like, can we push this deal any quicker? Um, but now we're sitting in a space where it's like, find me a team or I'm screwed out of luck. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually, I mean, I, I met kind of with the technical staff in Minnesota and was like, look, obviously this wasn't a ideal situation. And in my eyes, not the most like professional thing in the world, but uh, kind of asked for a little assistance from them to see if they could help place me mm -hmm. um and luckily the the goalkeeper coach john pasquarella um he uh he knew dave sarikin um he was actually like the interim uh u.s men's national team head coach at some point yep um got on the phone with dave and was like hey here's the situation was in with minnesota kind of didn't didn't go according to plan and are you looking for a goalkeeper? And I mean, he took credit to him. He told me straight up, he was like, look, we've had a guy for two years. Um, this was actually Dave's first year. Um, so he was kind of 
learning the team, but he had an idea of kind of what his team would look like. Right. And he said, he's like, uh, I want to bring a goalkeeper in who's going to compete and get minutes and um, be a part of our, our club. And if you're interested, the, the best we can do is kind of bring you in on trial. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the things I've heard are good, but at the same time, I need to see you. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, put eyes on you and yeah. so, make my own word. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, at that point, I was like, hey, this is kind of all I got. So I got to take it. So flew on, down man. to North Carolina. Um, I think I was on trial for maybe like two or three weeks. And at the end of that two or three weeks, um, ended up signing there. Um, and kind of the next challenge for me was obviously with me being Canadian, I needed to figure out a visa. Um, yeah. And actually kind of ran into a, a few issues with that. Um, and these are not the, the easiest times I'm sure where yeah, so you obviously just came off of a kind of five month window where in a sense, everything went wrong in an off season. And now right. you're kind of through it and you're like, yes, we got a team and Oh, I forgot I'm Canadian. Not only the, I mean, from the beginning of it, a visa takes anywhere from two weeks to a month and a half, just depends kind of on your case and mm-hmm. how quickly they decide to process it. So for me, mine took a solid three, three and a half weeks. Um, and then actually when I did get it, finally, um, the, the officer who was in charge of my paperwork was like, Hey, you actually need to go back to Canada, go to the embassy, first signed and re-enter on your visa status. Um, because when I originally went into the States, I flew into Tucson and right. I, I was in on a status, my playing status from Kansas city was done now. Um, so I entered as a visitor. Right. And then, yeah. so for the officer, he, he looked at it and was like, well, you entered as a visitor and now all of a sudden you sign, sign on like a P1 visa. Like right. you just stamp your passport, you need to leave and come back. Um, so North Carolina flew me out to, to Calgary, actually stayed there for a week until, it, I mean, it was one of those like sitting in a hotel for, for a week waiting for, for my papers to get stamped and yeah. I didn't do anything. Um, so sitting in, back in Canada, this season's already well on its way. Um, by the time I got back to North Carolina, it was, uh, it was like end of April by all that passport stuff had cleared up. And, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, like from when I released from Kansas city, it was the end of October, beginning of November. Um, Mm -hmm. and now it's beginning to mid April, April, almost gone through, I don't know what that is like six, seven months of just like, all right, that did not go according to plan. Um, Right. And the, the mental, um, drag that that has on you and the emotional of, I mean, just not knowing where you're going to end up. And then you, you see some light at the end of the tunnel just for it to be closed down. Um, I mean, that's rough. And that's something again, that you kind of touched on and that every, every person so far we've had on has, has mentioned that that mental aspect of the pro game is, is not all glitter and gold. Um, it's not just playing in front of sold out people and scoring goals or making the game winning PK save, or, you know, it's, it's the stuff of not being able to sign with the team or having issues with that. And now you being uh, from Canada, you know, you throw in a whole nother mix of um, visas and passport stuff. And it's, I mean, that, that's a lot. So I can only imagine when the only thing you're trying to do is play for a team, stay fit, 
uh, stay in the best condition you can be. You're then having to go back and forth from one country to the next, sitting in hotel rooms, just kind of waiting, um, which, you know, is, is not fun. I can imagine. So that, that's rough, man. That's rough. Yeah. And I think if, if, if I had this interview, um, kind of at the beginning of this year, um, it would have been a much more difficult thing for me to talk about. Um, yeah, a lot different conversation. Yeah, I mean, everyone who's close to me knew how terrible that seven to eight month period was for me because for me, I wanted to first sign a pro contract and I did that with Kansas City. Now I have an opportunity to go play in the MLS with, with Minnesota. And for, I mean, to this day, I say it's factors that were beyond me. Um, right. I felt... Right kind of like how you said that opportunity, the door opened. And then the second I got one foot in there, it closed. Um, And I didn't have an opportunity to, to prepare for it. For me, it wasn't like I felt I hadn't done enough. My preparation was good. I felt like I was a good place in my career where once had door opened, I was ready to take it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just kind of that piece of, it didn't work out. Um, Yeah. And that's the reality of being a pro. I mean, like you said, so many of the guys that you've had on these podcasts have, have gone through similar experiences that yeah. they differ, but I think guys who have been around it and been through an experience, they, they have a much bigger appreciation for guys when, I mean, I played with Joe and when, when Joe talks to me about his experiences and when he got injured this year, I'm like, I know it's different than me. I never had an injury where um, they kept me out of a pl- professional playing season, but I went kind of through the same stuff that you did with another situation. And right. And a different a, way. Yep. And you have a better <clears throat> understanding of each other and appreciation. And you just kind of understand how difficult some of these guys and their pathways are. So, and, uh, and you appreciate it when you finally see them getting to the top and you see them succeed. And, and, you know, it, it's something where like, I, it's, it's everyone's cheering for each other in a, in a good sense. Right. When you, when you know, uh, that someone was in the ringer with you because you both started off in USL somewhere. And then now you finally see them get that MLS contract or you see them get that first uh, MLS cap or that first start. And then it's like, man, like, that's right. Like I remember when that guy was getting jerked around and now he's finally able to showcase his talents off yeah. uh, and, and mad props to Joe last night, getting his first minutes uh, with the energy after, after a long, uh, injury so shout outs to him for that um, but yeah it's it's just that appreciation that you have for everyone and that respect um, knowing that everyone's pathway is different and that like you said preparation does not mean that you're going to get there right there's so many stories of these great soccer players or these great whatever athletes that never get the opportunity and it's just uh, you know not everyone's fortunate enough and the ones that are um, you know, it's, it's hats off to them because they had that opportunity that they seized. Yeah. Um, so yeah, man. So after, after North Carolina, uh, you were just there for a season. And then I remember, uh, after that, you came back here to KC for a bit. You're with your girlfriend trying to kind of figure out that next step. And, and, uh, I know we talked about some stuff with no stress Midwest and, and we, you know, you were really big and in, in saying like, yo, how can I help you? What, what can I do to help you out, man? I, I like what you're doing. And, and hats off to Darren being one of the, uh, 
one of the people that's kind of been rocking with this since it first started. Um, and now, you know, being able to help out. Um, but yeah, so you ended up as the head goalkeeper coach for Sporting Academy, which like when you told me that I was, I was floored. I was like, how the hell did he, yeah. <laughs> did he pull this one off? Uh, so dude, how, how, how did you do that? How, how did you get the job? How, how has it been? Um, I know you were ending the season with them last year. And, and then now, as you know, you were in the middle of it, COVID came and there's this huge four or five month break. You're getting started with things now. So how has just kind of from start to current, what's that been like? Yeah. So once I kind of finished up with North Carolina, I had a, uh, really good conversation with Dave Sarakin was Dave kind of said, he's like, look, I, you've had a good year here. Um, the other goalkeeper, uh, Alex Tambakis, who was there, um, like very, very good USL goalkeeper, um, kind of said to Dave was like, look, if I want to progress my career, obviously with goalkeepers, you need to be playing more games. And I, I, like I played games last year, but I wasn't in that starting role. Um, yeah. So I said to Dave, I was like, look, if he's coming back, then maybe it's time for me to to find a new environment. Um, and Dave was all for it, uh, trying to open up doors for me as well. Um, and kind of through the off season, it was another one. I mean, the off, ask any pro, the off season is it's the worst time of the year. Yes, you got to go home and train and see your family, but unless you're contract is bleeding over, um, like signing a two year or something like that. Yeah, you're you're in limbo. It's a never ending stress thing. Um, uh, so was talking to teams, had a couple teams that I was, were interested in. Honestly, I was, I was very close to signing with one or two of them. Um, mm -hmm. But um, actually I, I reached back out to Kansas city um, during that time and spoke with Alec Dufty. And um, initially the conversation was, Hey, can you, can you help open up some doors for me? All um, right do you know of any other teams that are looking for a goalkeeper? Uh, what a door. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, we, we tried to open some up and I mean, things were coming in, but I wasn't like, wow, this is like an amazing opportunity. It was just like, Hey, I'm going to continue in the USL, prolong my career, play for another year, like just keep playing to grind the grind. Right. Um, and I had actually, I had some really positive conversations with Alec. And I mean, to this day, Alec is like one of, for me, I see as one of my, one of my mentors, just because his career path um, is very similar to mine. I mean, he stopped playing when he was 26 as well. Um, okay. So I, I actually kind of had some, some, some good chats with him. <clears throat> of how did you know it was, it was a good time to transition. I, I had told him like, Hey, I know I always want to get into coaching um, for me. And, and to this day, I feel like I could have played a couple more years and bounced around and like, you never know an opportunity could have came and then my sure. career skyrocket. Right. Um, right. But had those conversations with him and he kind of helped walk me through what happened with his career and, and all of that. Um, and then I actually got a phone call not too long after that um, from John Perry and kind of Alec as well. Uh, and John Perry's the, the technical director at Sporting Kansas City. And the other, J, the other JP. Yeah, the other JP. Um, and he said, he's like, look, you've been a part of the club. You know the culture. You know what the expectations are. Um, I helped out a little bit with the academy when I was playing here. 
Um, and he said, he's like, look, if you want to jump into the, the goalkeeping role here, we're looking for a guy. And I mean, we rate you highly as being someone that could help us out. So kind of put that on the table. Um, yeah. And for me, like I said to him, I was like, look, I'm still trying to figure out, figure out if I'm going to play another season. Um, right. So I said, I was like, out of respect to you guys, if you could give me like a week or two to figure it out. Uh, obviously it's, I mean, it's a life-changing experience. You never sure. know when the best time is to wrap it up. Um, but took those two weeks and kind of thought about it, talked to way too many people about it, got their advice on it. And Yeah. Well, I remember um, during that two-week period was when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl and yeah. we were at a Super yeah. Bowl party and that was a, a topic of conversation yeah. amongst people there. Um, so I, I know that it was something that you were really considering and, you know, it was weighing heavily on you because, you know, every player hanging up your cleats or in your case, taking off the gloves, that's, uh, I mean, that, that's tough for anyone. And un unfortunately or fortunately it happens to all of us, right? It, time is undefeated. So, uh, I know that not only was it making that decision on retiring, but then it's, wow, I've got a really great job offer here as well. So it's not just retiring just to retire. It's, okay, am I ready to retire and transition into coaching right away? Yeah, and, and for me, the thought process was, and it, it came down to this at the end of the day, with, with me being Canadian and joining a new team, I always knew that the difficult path that I'd went through for – at that point, it was going on a year, a year and a couple months now. Yeah. Uh, even even at North Carolina, I mean, everything that had happened from that past offseason kind of carried with me. I felt frustration that kind of you touched on that mental piece. Like, I just – I didn't feel like myself. I wasn't enjoying the game as much. I felt like I couldn't get a grasp on my career no matter yeah. what I was doing. Um, so I kind of asked myself, do, wanna, do I want to kind of – continue to ride this ride um or do i want to take this really really good opportunity that jp's thrown on me um and an opportunity that like i said i always knew that i wanted to get in coaching but i didn't know when um and for for a guy my age i mean i'm 26 years old um on paper um i mean i missed the jp i was like yeah you got more minutes left in you yeah I, I, I said, I was like, I don't know if I'm done playing. And he said to me straight up, he's like, if you, um, I don't want you to come here if you feel like you still have some in you. Um, and it was a weird situation because I was like, I, I know I have some in me, but at the same time, this is a hell of an opportunity to get your foot in the coaching door. And I don't know if two or three years down the road when I'm ready to make that opportunity or that, that jump, if that same door will be open. It won't, it won't be it'll be yeah. closed locked double yeah. bolted everything yeah so, i mean i said to jp i was like look this is something i've always wanted to do i'm all for it like it's a huge opportunity and to this day like i'm hugely indebted to him for giving me this opportunity but um at the same time i think i have enough confidence in myself as a as a coach that i know i'm the right guy for the job um in a sense it's good because I know the club, I know the mm -hmm. culture, I know what Peter expects. I know what the club as a whole stands for. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I, 
I feel like I relate well to, to the younger goalkeepers for me. I mean, we talked about this, like I have a bunch of whys um, as to why I got into coaching. Part of my why was, look, I got screwed over and felt as though there were some shady people in the business and I wanted to correct it because there is a, white, a right way in, in doing it. Um, yeah. I felt like me as a person, I feel like I do things the right way. Uh, I mean, I've had to make some hard decisions already with goalkeepers, uh, with the academy, but there's always right ways of doing things. Um, so that was one of my whys, but I also, I've always had a desire to get back to the game. Right. Um, well, everything oh, that my life has been, I've gotten through soccer. Um, so if I could give back more to these kids, give them an opportunity that I never got, be a voice or a mentor to them that maybe I didn't have that level of coaching or expertise when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, then for me, I mean, we talked about like that, that's my biggest dream. Like I would love to know like in three years time that one of my U14 goalkeepers just signed a pro contract. Right. Goes on and has 10 times the career that I've ever had. Yep. Because um, it's just the gift they, they, they keeps giving. And, and that's one of the great things about coaching is you realize that your success almost becomes your player's success and you just wish that and hope that they do and can achieve everything that you did and then some um because that's kind of like a a pat on the back for you um now there was there's two things well one main thing i wanted to to hit on and and you touched on it and it wasn't until i was like friends with a lot of you guys where it really hit me. I remember I was hanging around and it was, it was you, it was Dakota. Um, I can't remember, maybe two or three other people on Swope and it was coming to the end of the season and they were just kind of, you know, all the guys were just talking about what's going to happen next season. And they were like, man, I don't know if I want to go to another USL team, go to another city where I don't know anyone just for one year and an option contract. And, you know, someone's like, man, this is my fourth team in like five, six years. Like, it, you know, this is this is tiring. But then they're like, well, man, I don't think I can go into a, an office building. or I, I don't know if I can go into corporate America, and, you know, or I didn't graduate. You know, I just was selected in the draft and wanted to, to do this. So hearing that side of it uh, for me was was kind of like eye opening because I was like, dang, like that's. I mean, that's real stuff. And that's something that, you know, I obviously went through in high school. So it was like, all right, well, I'm done playing. I just go to college and, and that's that. But when you have a career out of it, being able to just, you know, hang it up, you know, that, that's tough. And, and I feel like you always have that itch in you, you know, shoot, I'm 30. And I still feel like, man, if I get in shape just for, you know, give me a couple months. Um, yeah. So like you said, I think in players, that itch is always there. But then it's how do you kind of scratch that with the coaching and how do you then like maybe get your keeper to be able to make those split second decisions or, hey, this is what you think about or this is what I think about when I come out of here. I look at the striker's plant foot or I look at his hips or I look at his head to see where he's going. And then I look at when his follow through, you know, there's all those things that you learn from just being in the experience in the trenches that you can relate to with players um, where I feel like that's a big thing with coaches is that you have to, to a certain level of played the game in order to give those 
experiences of, okay, when you see somebody dribbling the ball and then they look up the field and then put their head back down, you know nine times out of ten they're getting ready to play that long ball all the way down the field to that person they looked at. Well, you only know that if you've been in that experience enough times. Uh, So I think that that's huge for you and being young to be able to relate to those players and say, look, dude, I, I was just at Swope. I, I played through it. I went to college route. I, I did this route. So I, I know, I know what it's like. Um, so yeah, that's, that, that's cool, man. That's cool. Um, so what's like a, what's a day for you? Like, all right, what's, you know, not obviously COVID has things kind of <laughs> yeah. a little messed up, but before COVID, what was a, a training day for you or what was a training week like for you, including games, let's say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so it doesn't have to be like too specific, right? right? You know, but yeah. So, I mean, the one, the one crazy thing that even I look back on is how, how amazing these kids in Academy have it in comparison to even when I was like going through Toronto's Academy. Um, I mean, if you look at it, these kids are pros. Yeah. They're treated like pros. They're expected to perform like pros. Um, I mean, all the older age groups, it's five times a week um, game on the weekend. Same thing the pros do. Um, preseason, what we're in right now, you're doing double sessions and all that. They're traveling, traveling on planes to games. Uh, I mean, Swope, Swope is the, the facilities at Swope. I mean, to be honest, they're better than some of the USL and MLS places that I've been at. Um, and Perry was is big on that you know yeah. that, that's something that he prides himself in the academy on is that training facility is top notch yeah and it it's funny because these kids that grow up they they don't know anything else they think that that's the standard um just because and it's not a fault to them but when you have experiences like like I have where you've played at different places you have a gauge on you know just how how much the ownership group at Kansas city values the Academy and sees the, the importance of it. Um, but also these kids are pros. Yeah. Starting with U 12, the way that these kids train, the way that coaches set up these training sessions, it's exactly like pro sessions. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my, my goalkeeping sessions aren't uh, for me, a lot of the things that Alec is doing at the first team level, we're trying to do with the younger kids and kids you can see it might the session might be a you know obviously the balls the service is hit a little bit harder or there might be another element of um flexibility to it, yeah, or, or difficulty to it. To it. Um, but at the same time like you're teaching you're teaching them the same technique in that same training session that you're running through like i'll be honest like some some of the best coaches they take material from each other you know oh <clears> every <throat> coach every yeah. coach takes takes Training, activities, yeah. drills, training sessions. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's training, training sessions that, yeah, training sessions that Alec has done. I'd be like, actually, work, it really works. It, it works really well. I'll take it and see it with my, my kids. But actually, I'll take this one and then add this little piece just because mm-hmm. I don't know if they're ready to be able to adjust to this movement. So maybe I have to add a little bit of element just to kind of have that be a segue. Um, yeah. Yep. We, we've always said it like that. The best coaches for me, um, they're always learning. They're always yeah. trying to figure out the next best way to help their players. And once you've kind of said that you figured it out, I think that's when you're in a, a tough place. Um, 
but it's always a learning experience. And I think one of the things that I, I credit you and I think I'm in the same position with this is yes, we have a soccer IQ and a soccer knowledge you have to, at, to in order to coach at a certain level. But what really makes a lot of coaches and managers different is their ability to, to manage players and manage personalities and get the best out of their players and give them opportunities when you feel like they're ready. And at the same time, crack into them when it's not good enough. You need to. Yep. So. Yep. Well, and, and when you develop that level of respect for them and they deliver and they deliver or they develop that level of respect for you, then you're able to have those hard conversations with them when you know that you're not doing the best because I've seen you do your best and I've you know complimented you when you've done your best. This is not your best. I know that. And now when you know that and those players can now take accountability, then it becomes, okay, crap, coach is right. I, I, I can do better. Let me step up. And right. then now that's, that's the coaching part. Now you, you, you've implanted in them. They know they can do better. Now they're going to be intrinsically motivated, hopefully. And they saw, you know, they self-adjust. Um, so that, that's the beauty of being able to relate to those players. And the thing is like these, these U12 players, mm -hmm. what they're going through is it's the expectation is similar than to the first team guys, the, right. the pressure that Peter puts on his players and the standard he expects them to uphold is to an extent, the same thing. Like if, if we have a, if I feel like I have a U13 goalkeeper who I don't see being a pro someday at this club, for me, yes, you want to back them and have the confidence in them. But at the same time, if you just – you're looking for the best and at the end of the day, I'm, I'm getting paid to knock on Alec or Mitch's door as frequently as possible and say, this is a kid, this is a product that we have and say, yep. he's ready. And if I'm not consistently doing that, then I'm not doing my job. So yep. if we feel like a U13 goalkeeper is just there or not meeting the standard of the club – we'll go find another one and that's the same thing as at the, the professional level like when you speak to these guys it's like if you don't get the results if you don't meet the standard if your play isn't the same your contract gets cut or you're out of here at the end of the season you're gone. at least see these u12 kids aren't aren't getting paid and competing for contracts but it goes back to the point of like it's the same thing yes yeah. well you've got, to, you've got to prepare them i think if if they've taken that pledge to want to become a pro player, right? They've established that at a young age and they have that technical ability at the time. It's your job as a coach to prepare them for that level because like you said, you've said it in every other player. When you get to the pro level, you still get cut. If you don't perform, you don't play. You don't sit or you don't suit up in the 18. You get sent on loan, you get traded, you get released. You know, there's there's so many things and and I think preparing players for that at a young age and sure you have people that that might not feel that way but if they want to be a pro I think letting them know what it's like to be a pro at an early age is the best thing so they can decide and eh, you know maybe I just like playing soccer for fun and I just want to go to college and then be done with it right but then if you have that one kid that hey this is this is all I've got there's no there's no other choice but this let those people shine through because they're ultimately getting paid, you know, maybe not getting, they're not getting cash, but they're getting the uniforms. They're getting the training. They're getting all that with no, they don't have to spend any money. 
So you want to pre- present those players with the best. Right. Yeah. And you're, you're doing those kids an injustice if you, if you lie to them or don't yep. prepare them for what it's going to be. If, if a kid comes to me and says, I want to be a pro, then I will treat you with, like a pro. If you don't hold the standard, I'll treat you the same way that a pro should be treated. And yep. some people, I mean, this is maybe the difficulty with North American culture is parents don't always see that same ideology. You know, it's like you need to speak to U12 kids differently than you speak to pro kids. At the same time, I I agree with that. But also, if that's where they want to be, then the conversation has to be the same. Has to. It has to. And you need to, you know, you, you treat them like adults to an extent. Right. Obviously, they're not driving to training. So if, if they're late, it's not like they, you know, their fault all the time. But it, if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. And and I, I, I truly feel like you said, if you want to be a pro, this is what it's going to be like. And you spoon, not spoon feed them, but you give them bits and pieces of it to mentally prepare them for that. So they don't think that life is all oh man, I play for this guy. It's going to be so great. I'm so good. And then they get to pro and then they get screwed over by their first manager or told that they suck. And then what do they do mentally? Do they recover? Right. If they've never gone through that, you know, who knows? So it's, it's one of those things like, I mean, I have the utmost respect for Peter and obviously I had opportunities to kind of be around him and all that, but if if you haven't prepared an academy player to go into a first team training session and not only have the pressures of some very good players around him holding them accountable but also the standards that peter has for those players if we have an academy haven't you know shell shocked them to in a sense where like this is how it has to be and like if we baby them or treat them differently that when when they get to that level and have that opportunity those kids just think you know you have to you have to be able to in a sense get at them and get at them in the right way but also support them when they need supporting um yeah well, at the end of the day you're 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 setting them up for an audition in front of peter that's yep. all it is yep and well and, and i think um with the da program with any feeder system right and it's similar to high school when you have a varsity team versus jv freshman team right Everything goes on to what the first team does. No, the reality is that every other team other than the first team is just a preparation to get players ready to go to the first team. And right. that's definitely a conversation on the high school level that obviously is, is not the easiest to, to have, and especially as a head coach. Um, but it's, it's, you know, Juventus isn't getting judged on how their U23s do. They're getting right. judged by what the first team does in the Champions League or in the Serie A. Sporting isn't getting judged on their academy teams winning nationals, right? Yeah, that's great, but if sporting isn't qualifying for playoffs or if they're not doing their job, all of that stuff underneath of it almost goes for naught. So it's having everyone on that same mindset where it's my goal is to get to the first team and my secondary support anything I can for, to make the first team successful. Uh, and that's your job. It's to get keepers prepared to, to step up to Swope, to step up to sporting first team, 
and step on, step into the goalpost and, and be ready to perform and be talked to like a pro, be held accountable like a pro and not be babied, you know? So I, it's, it's not an easy thing, but it's, I, I think it's what's best to prepare, prepare them for that level. Yep. For sure. Um, so, yeah, so man, this is, uh, this is gone on very long. We've touched on a lot of good stuff here, Darren. Um, the one thing I, I, I do want to end kind of end things with before we have any final words, uh, is our five aside team. Okay. So it's something that I, I talk to with all the guests. Um, I want you to pick you basically plus four people, uh, any four um, people that you've played with at any point in your career. So it could be when you were a U10, it could be uh, playing with Santiago Nunez over in Newcastle for that, that brief spell. Um, pick five people with that or four people. Right. And then I want you to pick uh, a dream five aside of four other people that you wish to play with. Um, that are still alive? Um, yeah, it's a good question. So I think um, the team that I would choose that I've known, um, okay. obviously I got to uh, gotta back myself between the net. Um, I, would, I, would, I, would I, would hope, I would hope I'm giving myself playing time. I would honestly hope so. Yeah, I'll, uh, I guess I got to play. Um, one of them for me would be my best buddy from back home, his name's Jamie Brackpool, played uh, kind of like high school ball with me. Uh, obviously never played at the professional level, but um, I think for me, you got to throw him in my uh, my desired. Uh, right. What position? Five. Where where do you have him slotted? Um, so I'd probably keep him in the back. All right. Uh, um, if I'm playing five aside, I, I feel like I'd just play a flat one-two-one or something like that. So I don't know if I trust him enough to play in the very, very back, but – Maybe throw them in midfield. Um, somewhere, somewhere yeah, close throw, enough where you can talk yeah. to them. Th- th- throw, throw them in midfield. Um, I think my defender, um, my defender for me would be um, Sam Brotherton. Plays for North Carolina right now. Um, for me, I mean, he was my roommate when I was in North Carolina. Uh, a Kiwi as well. Um, just an overall du- great dude. Uh, really good player, left-footed player. Um, I think he has a really good future if, if he can get the opportunities, um, obviously playing a lot with North Carolina. So I think I would trust him to kind of clean up the back for me. Um, All right. I think to help Jamie in midfield, uh, I think we need a little bit of help to, to, to keep him structured. Um, one of the guys uh, that I mentioned before would probably be with Tyler Pasher. Um, yeah. Growing up, our stories kind of were similar. Um, I don't, I don't a hundred percent like keep in touch with them all the time now. Um, but we grew up in the same area, obviously went to Newcastle together. Um, and for me, I just have a lot of respect for him. He's a guy that I personally think if he wasn't Canadian, he'd be in the MLS already. Um, just with the international rules and how difficult it could be. Um, I think he's got more than enough quality to help out a team and be successful. So, um, I think he would be one of the guys. Um, I think up top for me, um, it's a tricky one. It's things that I can only have five, but uh, up top for me, I think, I think it would have to be uh, 
probably Lebo. Honestly, Lebo and Milosevic. Okay. No. All right. Um, the Hello. reason for that, um, again, we we played together at Swope. Um, yeah. And I've always seen him as being one of the most creative players going forward. He maybe for the sense of a 5v5 side, probably may not be a true striker. Kind of plays as like a 10. But I think just partially he's a, a great player, but he was one of the guys for me that w- was a great human being. Um, <clears throat> kind of guided me as a as a rookie. And um, I've always had a lot of respect. And, I mean, we keep in touch right here and there. So I think yeah. for me that would be it. Um, All right. So we've got that five. Now we've got the – the dream five aside and yeah. and I'm hoping that we're just going to slot you a keeper again. Uh, <laughs> so I'm actually, yeah, I'm going to, I'll, I'll actually throw you one better. So for, for keeper, I feel like I need to, uh, I'm going to give someone else an opportunity. I'll, uh, I'll manage the team. Oh boy. Okay. All right. Since I'm okay. now in a coaching role, I feel like it's appropriate for me to manage the players. Okay. Um, for me and goal, it would be a, for my kind of childhood hero was Shea Given, uh, was Newcastle's goalkeeper at the time. Um, for me, like met him and um, I think the career that he made for and helped Newcastle was just, uh, I mean, he had a phenomenal career. Okay. Um, I think center back for me would, I mean, at this at this point, I, I probably would have said Ramos before, but I think Van Dyke is just a, the he's next, yeah, he's a next level guy that w- would be a confident defender. He's got a lot of tools. Um, pains me that I picked a Liverpool player for my five side, but I'll let it happen. Um, in midfield, I'd go probably De Bruyne, um, probably De Bruyne and Ronaldo. Um, feel like I don't need a huge justification for those guys. There. And, top players in the world. Um, KDB, you know, hasn't, De Bruyne has not gotten uh, much shout outs for the, for the team. Yeah. Huge, huge fan of his man. Huge fan. So we've got KDB and Ronaldo at the midfield. And who do we have at, uh, as the guy who's supposed to be scoring all the goals? Yeah. uh, I mean, I feel like I have to put the goat in there. uh, If I want to win games as a manager Uh and keep my job. Who does he? Who does he say the goat is? Gotta gotta put Messi up top. Oh, there we go. There we go. I think you've there got go. the four best players, arguably in the world, and then you've got Shea Given, who's just a Newcastle legend. So um, yeah, I think that five side time would be, or five. And we've got time. and we've got Coach McLeod as the manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of big personalities there, so uh, I think it's gonna take someone someone special to to manage those to keep it all together yeah you know that's that's a a tall task um but yeah man well that's uh that's a heck of a five aside there uh my plan is to get everyone's five aside together and almost do like a a tournament just to kind of see who's who's will win you know stacking up against other people so uh yeah so i appreciate this darren man is there a is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with or maybe anything you didn't get to, uh, to touch on before we wrap things up here? No, I think the only other advice that I would leave these players with is I think it's so important that you enjoy the game. Um, that's the reason that we, we get into it in the first place, but, um, 
kind of like I've said, and I'm sure a lot of the other guys have said, there's there's a journey involved. Um, you're going to hit the highest of highs, hopefully, and you're going to hit some some pretty some lows, some yeah, lows. pretty bad lows sometimes. And Yeah. Um, it, for me, it's all about riding the wave and enjoying because sometimes the, the toughest experiences, although for me, kind of pushed me away from playing, uh, I think it also taught me the most about myself and what I value and what I want to see for myself. Um, yep. so just kind of do your best to ride the lows as best as you can and, and enjoy the highs because I mean, in soccer, sometimes they're hard to come by, but when they do come, uh, they can be sweet and they over come. before you know it. So, yeah, no, that's uh, I mean, that's a, a great way to end it just to ride the wave. Uh, definitely a motto that I use and, uh, in the, the journey that I've been on as well. Um, it's, it, you have some high highs, you have some, some super low lows and those lows are dark. They're gloomy. They're, you know, seem like they're going to last forever. Um, but you, you're someone who's in a position to talk about how you're able to get out of it. And now having that, uh, retrospect to look back on those opportunities that were so low as some of the greatest learning experiences and lo learning points of your career. Um, and hey, it you know maybe wasn't when you were quite ready to to jump into coaching, but sometimes you just need that push, uh, and you ride the wave and you end on your feet, right? And you you're now talking with the head goalkeeper coach of Sporting Academy, Darren McLeod, who ended on his feet, and and you know I know there's a lot of upside for him. We have probably monthly conversations where we meet up and just talk about the future and what we both have planned. So uh, make sure you, you keep uh, an ear out for, for Darren. Uh, he's going to be moving up the pro ranks pretty quickly. And, and I hope that he takes me along with him for the ride. <laughs> appreciate it, man. I appreciate yeah. it. Well, Darren, man, I appreciate you being on. Uh, thank you for, for being on this episode of the no stress Midwest podcast, man. Um, have a good one and we will talk later. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate All it. All right. See you.